Welcome to our special podcast, not in Australia, but far, far away. We're up in the most beautiful mountainous area of the Carpathian Mountains, a beautiful mountain range that goes for hundreds of kilometres. And of course, it borders not only Ukraine, but uh, let me see, Romania, Hungary, uh, I think, I think Poland, but certainly uh, it also uh, borders Slovakia. So it's a, a strategic place. And it's, of course, just absolutely beautiful. And we're staying in a, when I say a multi-storey hotel, for the area it is, it's about six or seven storeys high, and it's been a spa hotel. And um, it was gifted to our local church by a brother that um, was a Christian here uh, in Ukraine, then went to Australia and uh, became quite wealthy and uh, has come back and gifted or bought and then passed on to the local church this beautiful hotel that we're staying in. And because it's uh, superintended by the church and the pastors, and we've been friends, I've personally been friends with that family for, oh gosh, it must be about 20, 28 years, something like that. Maybe, no, no longer than that, 30 some years. And um, they've put us in the suite and we've got a beautiful lounge room. And I look out the window and I can just see beautiful mountains. And it looks like the lower slopes of Switzerland or New Zealand or parts of Scandinavia. Uh, lush green, beautiful forests and of course pasture land as well. And um, the people are beautiful. They are very rustic people, but um, I don't want you to think that they're uh, peasants because they're artisans and very, very capable. And, um, and they're uh, builders and um, uh, carpenters and uh, people like that that have trades. But the most important thing, of course, is the church. And the church is what we visit. Now with me is Abilio, and I know you'd like to hear from him. And we're just going to talk about why we're here, the history of how we come to come to this place, which is an out-of-the-way place, and why we come so frequently. We'll talk about that in a moment, but Abilio wants to say something. Hey, Tony. That was a very interesting um, description of Carpathia, where we are at the moment, up in Pollyanna. It is, it is quite beautiful, isn't it? It's very mountainous and full of trees and everything. Yes. And uh, you're going to give us a bit of history as to why we came up here in the first place. Well, we came up here in the first place in communist days. And we shouldn't have been here. <laughs> yeah. But the, the, the church of that time wasn't exactly rebellious against the communist government, but it was resistant in some ways. And so when we first came in 1986, we got to know the local pastors, the, the senior leadership at that time. We were followed. We were not harassed. We were not harassed and we never felt uh, in danger, but we were followed by the KGB and we were tackled by them a few times in, they thought, a very subtle way, but it was a very obvious way. The next year... 
the pastor said, because I think we'd proven that we were a committed, uh, we had a committed ministry to Ukraine. The pastor said, I'm taking you for a couple of days away. Now, we knew that that wasn't compliant with our visa. Yes. I and think it was the same also, too, when I first came in That's exactly right. And, and we were put in a, a van and there was an element of danger. I don't know what would have happened if we'd been arrested or interrogated. I don't think we would have been tortured, no. but we would have probably been deported. Deported would be the thing, yes. After a, maybe a week in jail to frighten us. Um, but anyway, they took us up there. And I just jokingly said to the pastor in charge, oh, I said, I want to see my wife and family, you know. Oh, they said, you will, you'll see them again, maybe in 20 years' time, if you get caught. And they thought that was hilarious, yes. but we didn't. And then after that, uh, I said to him, oh, but what if we get caught? You know, what if, you know, our visa doesn't allow us to go to those places. It's specified that you only go to the areas that you have said you wanted to go to. And that's not the region we said we wanted to go to because we had no idea about it. Oh, we said, well, if you get arrested, taken to, j to jail, you'll have a wonderful, wonderful prison ministry. And they all roared laughing and we thought, that's all right for you. You're used to it, but we're not. Mm. And uh, so there was an element of, I don't know, I was a bit concerned because on the first occasion I had Tom there. Who, who was that pastor that mentioned that? Pastor Kolkowski. Yes, that's and of course, he had spent years in the gulag. He'd been beaten and he'd been starved and he'd been tortured and imprisoned and then exiled and then he was allowed to come back. Oh, what a story, what a history. But when we did come up here, we were amazed at the beauty of the place and the fact that the revival was here. And you were yes. with me a witness to that. Yes, we, we, we saw we witnessed very we saw things, things that well, we saw things that were said we, we in the telling when we got back that we were branded as having exaggerated yes, and right. even lied That's about right. it. That yes. one man sent a complaint to the Assemblies of God World Missions that Tony Hallow shouldn't be allowed to represent them because he lied about what he saw in uh, the Carpathian Mountains. Do you want to just tell that brief story about yes. that, that man that um, had just been released when we had... Um, at that, um, it was 98, uh, 91. 1991, it was in February. It was in the midst of the most vicious cold spell with snow everywhere and ice on the roads it was not that comfortable uh, for people like us who like milder weather anyway we went to this meeting that was called a sabbatarian meeting now that's not to be confused with seventh day adventism that i don't have a lot of problems with anyway but um, it wasn't that they are pentecostal very very keen but they their principal meeting is on a Sabbath, on a Saturday evening. And ushering in that, they also have a Friday night meeting. And we went to the Friday night meeting and the church was absolutely packed, as you remember. I remember that. All the young people were towards the back in deference to the middle-aged to elderly that were in the front. And the children were on the platform with us, which was a real eye-opener because they behaved so absolutely beautiful. It was just a very well-ordered meeting 
and the preliminaries go on, they don't worry about time. Mm. And so I think the meeting started at seven and we were still going, worshipping about 10 to eight. And then they gave it to me, as I remember it, and I got up to speak and I was in the middle of an introductory statement saying where we were from, Australia, where we were located within Australia, about the church and giving formal greetings and just, you know, warming up to the message when suddenly a little man appeared. And I would say little because he wasn't so short, but he was so emaciated. He was thin. He had a straggly beard. He had uh, eyes sunken back into his head. Oh, gosh, he looked sick. And he had a, a suit that hung on him. He was very, very unwell, I would have thought. Anyway, he started yelling. He got into the centre of the aisle. And I mean, the meeting was very, very, very well ordered until that point. And then without saying, may I say something or, or asking the pastor in charge, could he speak? And he obviously was known by the congregation. He started pointing the finger at me and going full pelt. Well, I don't know what you thought. I didn't quite understand what was happening, but it didn't look good at the time. <laughs> <laughs> you didn't understand. I didn't understand. And he was pointing at me. And um, I said to the interpreter, who was Nick, uh, Nick Sachev, I said to him, what's he saying? He said, be quiet. I'll tell you in a moment. Well, it was a long moment because the man kept going. I thought, I can't stand this. What, you know, what have I done wrong? Because he didn't seem to be warm and welcoming. It was sort of, it seemed like a denunciation. Then all of a sudden there was a, a whoop and a shout and people started crying. I thought, what is going on? And so I said to Nick, you've got to tell me what's going on. He said, all right, well, I'll tell you. In a few seconds, he told me that this man had just come from being released from the gulag in Siberia, I imagined. And he had come, yes, it was Siberia, he said Siberia. He came back from Siberia, he'd been in exile. He had now returned to Carpathia and up the hill from where we're sitting now, not terribly far. And uh, probably they'd said about 10 or 15 minutes by car from where you and I are here at this hotel. He said that he'd come back and when he came back, he came back with a degree of sadness because when they'd been arrested 30 years before in Nikita Khrushchev's era, they had been sentenced to Siberia for being simply Christians and preaching the gospel. He and two other pastors. And while they were in the work camp, those two pastors died. I don't think they died at the same time. They died separately. And um, he was standing at the grave of the second man and he had a terrible, a terrible feeling come over him. And he said to the Lord in prayer, is this how I'm going to end up? Am I going to end up in the ground like this? No one at home in the Carpathian region where I come from will know 
what happened to me that I've been buried, my family, my friends, my congregation, no one will know, uh, and I'm just going to be a, another nameless grave. And God's Spirit came on him and said to him, and I believe this, well, I have to believe it because I was there, he said, you will not die, you will return to your people and to your region and to your home and to your church, and you will see the day when I bring people from across the other side of the earth to preach on your platform in your church. Then God gave him a vision, and he said, and that's why he shouted at me with his finger pointing at me when he came in, you are the man. So not only did God tell him, what was going to happen, which was being fulfilled in his own eyes that day. But I was the man in the dream. And we worked it out, didn't we? Yes. That I would have had to have been a teenager when he got that vision of me in my adulthood because I think I was 41 when I went up there, 41, 42. And here he'd seen me years before. So, I mean, that's a miracle, isn't it? Is, it? Yes. We were talking to the pastor today yeah. about that, and they knew, they knew that man. Yes, they, they knew did. the whole thing. They were pinned, uh, picking out people in the photo. Yes, we sure that we showed them a photo, and they knew some of those people that were in that congregation. Yeah, we didn't get a photo of ourselves with the man, but we got a photo of the man. That's right. And he was a very austere man. It reminded me of my grandfather. He was very aloof. And a lot of the people here aren't, uh, they're self-contained people, aren't they? Mm, they are. I, people today we had lunch with, they were friendly, they were welcoming, they were hospitable, but there's some, some sort of, I don't know, not a barrier, but a distance between mm. us. Very conservative people. Conservative people, yes. yes. So that was one miracle. Well, we've seen so many miracles. We've had some hair-raising experiences up here that I sort of retold our host pastor last night. And he laughed, so I hope he hasn't got something like that up his sleeve. No. Shall I, I tell you the story? You were there. <laughs> yes, yes. You were there. Oh, gosh. That was that time, 1991. We came up here. They said... When you were here in 1987, 88, uh, three years before, you had prayed for a woman that had had a, a number of miscarriages. Yes, well, they weren't miscarriages. The babies were actually born and lasted exactly a year then sickened and died. And died, that's correct. So he'd had, she'd had four. And this lovely Christian couple had come into the vestry of the church after a meeting, wanting the pastors from Australia to pray that there would be an actual birth and the child would live beyond a year. 12 months, that's correct. Tom was there. Uh, you weren't there on that occasion. Anyway, she'd had a child. Now... To be very, very factual and honest, I don't remember having said this. I'm amazed if I did. But Pastor Ratanet said that when I'd prayed, 
I said, this child that is to be born, because she was just fallen pregnant, this child will not die, but will live. Hmm. Now, I don't remember saying that. I mean, that is an absolutely amazing thing to say. I mean, you wouldn't impetuously say that. But he says, I did. Well, what happened was that the baby lived and we must have gone earlier than that. I don't know when. I think it was 91. Well, 91, we went there, but I thought that, anyway, who knows? The child was now one year old. And he said, remember you said the child would live? I said, did I? I thought, well, that's audacious. Uh, If the Holy Spirit didn't give it to you, it's a downright presumption. So I thought, oh, goodness me. So he said, would you go with a bilio in a little Russian car up to the village and pray for the child because it's getting feverish and that's the way these babies go before they die. So we said yes and we were glad to do that. Well, it was a dark night. It was again February. It was freezing. We got in this little car. The man that drove us was pretty gung-ho but we didn't realise how much he was until he veered off the road onto the riverbank and faced the river, a flowing river, at what, seven o'clock at night, eight o'clock at night? Pitch black. Oh, it was dark. And all of a sudden he entered the river. Well, I could not believe what was happening. I nearly died. I'm no swimmer. You are. I panic. And uh, I thought, oh, well, I'm never going to see home again. I mean, the, the river wasn't flowing terribly fast, but I thought, this is a little larder car. He just drove across. He must have known the depth of the river because it came up um, under the handles of the, the door handles. And to our absolute amazement, we got to the other side and yep, it went up through the the marsh onto the next, the bank, the river bank, and he journeyed on. No worries to him. Oh, my goodness. Anyway, we finally got to the place. Well, I was shaking like a leaf, went in there, prayed for the child, and thought as I was praying, well, that was a hair-raising experience, and the awful part is we've got to come back that way. I hope we're not going to go through the river, which we did. That child lived. Yes, that's right. That child today is whatever, 1991, that's 32, nearly 33 years old. He's a father of two children himself. He's the only child that survived. And the other children that he had, that the parents had subsequently, all died at that given time. So I, I didn't know much about curses or anything in those days, or I think I would have prayed against the possibility that that was a family curse. I don't know. But that was another miracle. Mm. But miracles happen up here, and the thing that really grabs me and convicts me is these people expect it. Yes, that's right. 
when we're at home in Australia, or if you go to America, you can fill an auditorium if you announce you're going to talk about a miracle, like Betty's being raised from the dead or someone jumping out of a wheelchair. <laughs> People will, oh, oh, isn't that amazing? Isn't that amazing? Isn't that wonderful? Well, they're not like that here. No, no, they do things without fanfare, don't they? They don't do anything with fanfare. They look at you with a sort of a blank look when you say, isn't that wonderful? They'll just say... Yes, as though, well, what do you expect? Mm, mm. So I think they actually expect miracles and that's why they've got them. They are people of faith. They are people that have weathered many storms and shrug off things. We heard of a lady that reached 103. Uh, the pastor's, the late pastor's mother-in-law, she only died a little time ago, at 103, she had never had an operation of any kind, uh, shrugged off any illness, just went to bed uh, until she felt better and uh, had no major surgery of any kind. And, and had six children. Six children. And, and was a widow for 70 years. Was a widow from her 36th year and raised all her children. How many did you say? Uh, six, six children. Yeah, yes, six children. Had to provide for them, get out and weed and, uh, and seed the soil and, and tend it and reap it. And oh my goodness me, these people are amazing. Amazing. They have a profound faith, don't they, these people that are up here? It's oh, a, they do. It's and quite the, remote, but, but Well, you they... know, you didn't know this morning. I mean, I'm... I'm going to preach there. You know, I'm going to have these people staring at me because they do. They've got a penetrating look. Mm -hmm. They're listening to you. They don't understand what you're saying in English. But then they look at the, the interpreter and they analyse everything that's been said. You get that feeling and you think, you know, you're almost feeling, I uh, don't want to put a foot wrong. They know their Bible. Mm -hmm. They know the Lord. They certainly know faith and just believe and there's no fanfare there's no emotionalism and there's not even emotionalism in the meetings i've seen tears i saw them this morning but it was because of the word of god i've seen tears when that woman in 1991 got converted yes i remember that <laughs> she was the the uh, regional uh, was it a director, director for atheistic studies? Yeah. Well, a atheistic indoctrination, more likely. Yeah, in the high schools. In the high schools, that's correct. And we didn't know she was coming to the meeting. Someone had noised it abroad that an Australian was speaking. Well, Australia is the still an intriguing place. So she decided to come for no reason, spiritual. Just to see what an Australian yes. looked like. Yes, you hoped that you'd talk about kangaroos and kookaburras. And uh, <laughs> we had no interest in that. We saw her. I mean, the people here, we might say, are simple in their lifestyle. So there's no real glamour. There's no, well, certainly no torn jeans and dirty T-shirts and high heel uh, shoes and, and dingle-dangle earrings. There's none of that. They're very conservative. 
I don't know what to say. Um, they're very real. So this lady swished into the meeting and because we don't know the language and we are dependent on our interpreter telling us what's going on, you become very sensitive and aware of what's going on in the meeting through the eye gate. Right, yeah. And I noticed when she walked in with furs and ruby red lips and terribly exaggerated makeup, uh, that all the girls in the uh, Balalaika Orchestra, which were the music for this particular church, all tittered and talked and whispered and had their mouths gaping open because they knew this woman. Yes, that's right. They were students. They were students in the secondary school and she was the director of atheism. She was a teacher and lecturer, but she was in charge so they knew her. And we soon got to see what kind of woman she was because during the service, the man was leading the singing, very ordinary, not terribly, uh, he was no Cliff Barrows, and he was uh, leading it sort of very, very docile. Everybody was singing and the girls were playing their balalaikas and she yelled out that it should be some, I don't know, uh, step it up or something. Yeah, I don't know what she was directions herself. She <laughs> was telling everyone. Yes. First and only time there, telling everybody how to behave. And she called out something else, and I just thought it was amusing. And then when I got up to preach, she was staring at me, and I put it down to the fact that she was keen to see an Australian and wanted. I don't know what you wanted me to do, bound around like a kangaroo or I don't know. Anyway, I didn't do any of that. But all of a sudden, at the end of the meeting, when the altar call was on for giving your heart to the Lord, and there wasn't a great congregational size, um, wasn't as packed as it was this morning, she came, she didn't come running down, She, but she came very, very very quickly, right at the outset, and she threw herself with this suede and fur coat. She threw herself on the altar, the platform, not spread eagle, but she started to cry and yell. The girls that knew her from the school burst into tears and were holding each other and she was saying the same thing over and over again. And Nick, our interpreter, said she's crying out, what have I done, what have I done, what have I done? Meaning I've taught that there is no God and now I have met him. Yes. And I am absolutely staggered by this revelation. And she was born again. Yes. And when she got up, I, I couldn't help laughing. Yes, I remember that. All the makeup. All the mascara. The mascara was yes. down the cheeks, which was caked with that sort of makeup that women can buy. It's not powder, it's sort of a. What is it? Foundations. Foundation stuff. It's yeah. a yellowy, creamy colour. And that was like rivulets. And then her lipstick was all. Bright. She looked grotesque but she was gloriously saved. Mm -hmm. But she wasn't the only one because the night before, 
when that man had you know, come along and, and shouted at us, you know, that miraculous thing, we often forget there was a woman who'd been a lecturer of uh, atheism. She got saved. Yes, exactly. So true. this place is real to us. It's beautiful to us in God. Yes. They used to have the Bible school here before it moved to Kiev. Some of the leaders of the Pentecostal work were saved when we came here. Mm. I think the dean of the Bible school it was saved the first time when Tom and I came. So, you know, of course we love coming here and many of them that knew us when we first came, like the present pastor, he's now 49 and he would have been he would have been about 10 or 11 or 12 mm -hmm. and his brothers of course are all grown up mature and because they marry young they're all grandparents. Hmm. Makes me feel like a hundred. <laughs> <laughs> but we're here because we love the place. We love what God began well before we ever came. I mean, we could tell stories of what they did to quietly resist the communist ideals, how they counteracted that, how they overcame it. And we're here because there's a war raging in the east mm. and this place is full of refugees. And we're here because there is a, an unbroken move of God and uh, it continues today even though the culture is so removed from ours. The music is very heavy, Ukrainian. The people are very, very sincere and godly and strong but they're also very direct and they've got that sort of as we said before a little bit of a space they're not they don't come up and hug you like you do get down in Kiev and other places so we're here to encourage we've got a word from the Lord about beauty for ashes the oil of joy for mourning and the fact that this war is only one aspect of the promises and prophecies of Jesus, by Jesus and the prophets regarding the end time That's right. upheaval. Wars and that's why wars. we're here. Yep. Yeah. Wars and rumours of wars. So that's why we're here. As we spoke this morning on the second coming of Jesus and how to maintain peace of mind and being in, in control of your own spirit and not being, uh, not being pressured into a frenzy of fear uh, and negativity. Mm. I saw lots of tears today, lots of tears, people reaching out. And then when the prayer time came, yes. it, was, it was on for young and old, wasn't it? It was beautiful. Even going up to the meeting, um, uh, Pastor Peter was talking to us about, you know, that our fear does make people do some very unusual things. And he spoke about uh, a number of things that some people were doing to escape and to yeah. want oh, to get yes. out. And... Yes. So it's, it's a very real thing, isn't yes, it? Yes. People are running away. If you're a man, a male, and you're between, what was the earliest age? Uh, I think it was... Um, 18. Uh, 18 to 60. Oh, yes, yeah, so I knew it was up to 60. 18 to 60... You cannot leave uh, Ukraine now because you may be called upon yes. to be, even if you're not trained, part of the resistance force. 
You know, it's pretty horrible. And some of them have already got families scattered around Europe. And we know of people, we wanted to get to Germany because we know of a couple there that are ministering to hundreds of of, um, Hmm. uh, refugees. I don't know whether it is the word to use, but they are refugees in another country and waiting to either come back or go somewhere in the world that will receive them. Look, it's just awful. Mm. But they, they are doing a lot for the, for the men on the front. Um, Peter was saying that they had something like a, a thousands of, of, um, of chaplains that go in and, and encourage the men and, and, um, and help them and have communion with them and a number of things like that. Well, that's the uniqueness about Ukraine. The most manly of men are very humble when it comes to the things of God. You can talk to anybody here and by and large you will get a very, very, very open response. They're very very God-conscious people. Oh, they are. They are. I mean, that's one of the hallmarks of religion even if you shy away from religion and don't like it mm. and you think, oh, well, this sacramental religion leaves me for dead, you know, it's horrible. Yeah, that's okay, but it's an awakening voice. It, it whets the appetite for the real. Yes. So orthodoxy, Catholicism is strong here. All these that the evangelicals might say, well, we don't believe what they believe, Okay, but be respectful because they bring about a God consciousness and a sense of reverence. Reverence. Yes, it's true. And you can talk to anybody here. It doesn't matter who it is, from the delicately old to the delicately young. And you can talk to them about the Lord, parents, grandparents, male, female, people in the army, people anywhere. You could talk about the Lord and you do not get rebuffed. Not that that worries you because if that happens wherever you are and you get rejected, well, they're not rejecting you, they're, no, rejecting, they're rejecting the Lord the and, and you don't get nasty about it or get all worked up about it. Well, I don't anyway. I just say, oh, well, you can't win them all. No. But here you don't get that. I remember handing out tracts once waiting for someone to get their car and take me to a meeting and I'm waiting in the dampness of the evening and two old ladies, I think they shared their dentures, they hardly had any teeth, they were dear old things and they were sitting there in rags almost and certainly terrible poverty and I went over and I handed them uh, a tract from Wally and Diane Anshin in Melbourne and their wonderful little simple tract in Ukrainian. And I handed it to them and you would have thought I'd given them money. They held it to their breast. They thanked me. One had tears in her eyes. When, when was that? What year was that? That was, uh, oh, well, that was under about 10 years maybe, but under 10 years perhaps. I was visiting or staying with now, I wasn't staying with Nick Sachev, but it was at his flat. And they were down in the dusk talking, and I was waiting for him to go and get the car, which was parked away from where he lived. And in that 10 minutes, 
I gave that to the ladies and they were just, you know, like that. I gave a tract once plus some practical stores that I had to someone, a, a beggar in um, the basement, no, not the basement, the entrance to the, the uh, underground railway, the metro. I handed some, um, I think it was fruit that had been bottled, didn't appeal to me, so I thought, well, I'll share it rather than throw it out. I mm. uh, wouldn't have done that. And then I gave them a little bit of money, and that was prized, of course. Then I handed this person, a beggar, the tract, and the tears came to their eyes. Mm. And I think to myself, there's such a hunger here for the Word of God. There is, there is. So tomorrow we leave for? Kiev. And we're going to spend a couple of days there. The horrible thing is we've got to be up at four o'clock in the morning and we've got, I'll be packing tonight and uh, we've got to go without breakfast. Well, that's fine. We can get that on the train. And we've got to be on the six o'clock train. We've got to be there about 20 minutes before, half an hour before. We're told that we've got no worries, that we'll be picked up and that's fine. The worry is that we won't sleep in. And, I'm um, sure we won't. <laughs> Well, we've never done it before. No, we haven't. So what's our, our final destination? Well, final destination, we go from there to Dnipro. We go from Dnipro back to Kiev. Then we go from Kiev back to Lviv, mm -hmm. where is the huge clearing house, really, for want of a better term, of refugees. And there we saw it last year. I was overwhelmed last year. We'd, I don't know that I was of any benefit to anyone. I was so shocked about the hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of uh, refugees from the East in their state. I mean, do you remember that couple sitting in the... Yes, I do. Oh, that was awful on a hot day, huddled together under a blanket. Um, would they have been in their mid-twenties? Possibly, but there was a, a, a definite look of, of um, shock. shock Absolute shock. In those, in those um, refugee centres. Oh, shocking, centers. yeah. Oh, terrible. Yeah, so it's, I'm just so glad that Australian Christians are praying, are praying for us, and they are giving sacrificially, and uh, we're able to give 100% of the money. We don't don't have any bank charges. We, we just use that money can absolutely for either for the trip, which is important to them, yes. and or for literal aid, which is food, fresh water, medical supplies, and practical things like uh, nappies for babies. The suppliers come from Germany, Belgium, and Western Europe and Central Europe, and they come in these great big lorries, these huge road trains, mm. and they come, and they sometimes at the border have to wait a couple of days before they get through. Yes. I, when, we, when we came here last year, I worked out, as we were going through the border through Poland, there was a, a, about five kilometres of lorries waiting at the border I would have thought there were more. It was longer, but you said five. Yeah, well, you'd be right. I thought it was about eight or nine. I mean, it was just never-ending. And then yesterday, when we were coming from Budapest in Hungary, I wondered why the driver 
didn't take us down the massive freeway and to the border that way, but we went down good roads, but it wasn't the freeway. No, it was some, a few back roads. He took us down the back roads so that we got to a very, very ordinary crossing point. And instead of hundreds of cars who perhaps would have to stay for hours while their passports and, you know, inspections took place, we got through, I think I'm right, you'll, uh, you'll correct me, I think it was between 15 minutes and 20 minutes mm. and we got through the two borders. That's we correct. exited Hungary and we got through into Ukraine in about 20 minutes. That sounds about right. <laughs> oh, I'm glad. <laughs> but I thought, I thought to myself at the time, oh, this is taking a while, and then all of a sudden it hit me. Well, it could be a day and a half, so be quiet and be thankful. I was quiet and I was thankful. We've still got a, a couple of weeks before we turn back home to, to Australia, so, so what would you like people to do as far as you mentioned prayer and and um and also money because there's still i have no problem asking for money when it's not coming to me <laughs> that's right yeah i don't have a problem i i will will go on behalf of christians that care and i think that's a great slogan isn't it um christians that care enough to pray while asking you to pray for our mission we are seeking to bring the word of god that's what we're trying to do. We're trying to put it in this terrible suffering into perspective relating to the second coming of Jesus and the wars and rumours of wars. We are in the midst of a war. We certainly pray or ask for prayer for our safety. We don't want any stray missiles. We don't want any direct hits. You know, naturally we pray for that. We want easy access, we want uh, a clear run, we want um, practical things to be taken care of and to date, and we're coming up to the second week uh, that we've been away, we've had a smooth trip and of course we get on all right. I don't think we need to ask anyone to no, pray for think. unity, we're pretty united. Yes, I think so. And uh, but, but certainly we want to be united with the people here. Mm. Yes, we do want to be able to, to give them hope. The thing that made me laugh today was we're well known in, here in, in, in Ukraine in so many places and some people are clamouring for us to come, but the church we went to today, they never heard of us. <laughs> well, that was humbling, wasn't it? <laughs> it was. It made me laugh. But, you know, we made new friends yes, today. I don't know how many hundred were in that meeting it was a good 200 anyway mm. or maybe more but I think we'll be remembered by the fact that we didn't just send greetings or prayed we came yes, and that was said last year it was and it was by the pastor that's here yes because last year I was a bit I was thinking with with all the the um, the needs that they have and I was thinking to myself wouldn't it be far better to just send that money and I was in the a, money that we that's we, right that, that that was given and um, and then to hear it said from one of the pastors saying they have friends that are so close to Europe and they did contact them when the conflict began and asked them if they were safe and they were relatively short uh, 
short distance away, a flying distance of two, maybe two hours, two and a half hours. Yes. And uh, then we won't say where. Yeah, but <laughs> but just you know him saying that um, they constantly contacted them, but we who lived the furthest on the other side of the earth were the ones that came, and uh, I think that was an answer to my query, and it was certainly very humbling. I thought. Well, uh, yes, and it's lived with me ever since, and that justified that nagging subconscious thought. Mine was subconscious, yours was conscious. Very much uh, in front of my mind. Well, you're yes. very practical and I'm a bit impractical. And because this is my, I think, I think, I can't be sure, but I think it's my 37th trip in as many years, which is not to say that we came every year. We didn't. But there were times when we came three times a year. I used to work for the Assemblies of God World Missions I also worked for Operation Exodus. I worked for both at the same time, I think. But the point was that um, we came for different reasons every time. But this time it's to bring, I think, a sharpening of focus. And it's to say, hey, because Jesus said, when you see these signs, look up. And we could possibly call our missionary mission a look-up mission, looking above the battle strife, looking above the battlefield, looking above, if you can, the horrors of war, and look, your redemption is drawing near. That's why we're here. Yeah. Well, if people want more information about uh, what we're doing and, and uh, how they can help in Ukraine, they can contact us at the church email address, which they is... Which is info at townsvilleworshipcenter.com.au. Just send us an email and we'll um, give you information about what's happening and what we're doing and, and how you can help, how you can pray. I think also they can become friends of Tony Hallow. Yes. Um, on Facebook. On Facebook. And that will give them an entrance into up to date, almost hourly information while we're away. Uh, and there'll be practical things. We'll take you into, as I did today, into the pastor's home, saw what they eat, and then into the church, seeing the very traditional church, evangelical, Bible-believing, but very traditional, because there are churches similar to our own. But look, people would be absolutely amazed at what God does in these places. I think we should wrap it up. If you say so. <laughs> we'll, we'll include uh, a lot of that information in the show notes of the podcast. And um, hopefully we'll see whether we can come back with another episode to update. Yes. The answer is yes. Always yes. We'll say goodbye. Well, goodbye, everybody. Great being with you and do pray for us. <laughs>